History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spectacular people welcome to this 351st episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i'm your host diane and this is kelly kelly we are going to an island today woohoo somewhere in the tropics yes <laughs> have you ever been to bermuda i have not i have when i was a kid Nice. Yeah, so apparently there's a lot of legend and lore and ghosts on this island, and we're going to talk about the history and haunts of it. Very cool. Looking forward to it. Before we get into that, we have a lot of people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew. Thank you for joining us, and if you guys have not done so, get on it, because we're doing all the fun stuff now. Our virtual trick-or-treat is going strong. This is where you find out about events. Lots of stuff are starting up because it's our season, Kelly. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> we want to welcome into the spectacular crew, Ted, Maggie, James, Linz, Stephanie, Bruce, Jennifer, Richard, Sonia, Patrick, Julianne, Jamie Ann, who spells her name YMI. That's very cool. Brad, Karen, Jessica with a K instead of a C. Salem Traveler, and Bailey. Welcome to the crew, everybody. Thanks for everybody joining us. And now, this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by John Michaels. While it's not a law in the books, so it's not illegal to die in long in Norway, for all intents and purposes, one is not encouraged to die there. This little village is located on the archipelago of Svalbard and is thought to be the most northerly town in the world. There are not many services on the island. The hospital can only handle non-life-threatening conditions and there are no nursing homes. For this reason, any residents of the island must also have an address on the mainland. When they get to a point where they can't care for themselves, they have to leave. Some people do die here though in accidents and in 1918, Spanish flu even hit here. But one cannot be buried here in a coffin because the bodies don't decompose since it's always so cold here. There are actually victims of the 1918 Spanish flu buried here with remnants of the virus that were sampled and studied in 1998. So while dying isn't banned here, it is uncommon. And that certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. In the month of September, on the 1st in 1972, Bobby Fischer wins the World Chess Championship in Iceland. 
This was the most publicized and still the most famous chess title match in history. American Bobby Fischer faced Russian Boris Spassky, and since the Cold War was going strong at this time, there were many political undertones. Fischer had started early with chess. He was playing professionally by the age of eight, and he won the U.S. Open Championship when he was only 14. When Fischer won, it was the first time an American won the competition since it started in 1866, and the Russians had not been defeated in 24 years. So Fischer was a hero in some circles, but he definitely had his flaws. He was arrogant, demanding, and only agreed to play in the tournament after the prize money was doubled, and Henry Kissinger begged him to go. Fischer took home over $156,000, but would lose his title three years later when he had to forfeit that title because he wouldn't show up for the competition when his demands were not met. The Ballad of Bobby Fischer was a song he inspired, and he became the subject of many movies and books. People think of the island of Bermuda as a tropical getaway with turquoise water and pink sand beaches. And while that is true, Bermuda has been known as the Isle of Devils. Much of the reason why was because of the stormy weather that has throttled the island, along with the treacherous ring of coral that has surrounded it. This also happens to be the eastern point of the Bermuda Triangle. Thus, the island has become a place of lore, and there are many tales of hauntings. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of Bermuda. Juan de Bermudez, and I'm sure I said that wrong, was a Spanish explorer who was the first to explore the island of Bermuda in 1505. He was sailing back to Spain after bringing provisions to Hispaniola. Can you imagine? You're just like, okay, we're heading home, boys. Do, 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 do. Whoa, what is this? A little surprise there. Yeah. The island would be named for him, and he would return to it a few years later to drop off some pigs in case anyone ever got marooned there. Okay. Forward thinker. I like it. Come on, Kelly. It's like a delivery service. Fast food. He's like, oh, I'm going to deliver some fast food to the island on my way over to Hispaniola again. Just being prepared. He's like a Boy Scout. I mean, you know, if you got marooned on this island, you'd be like, wow, this place is so beautiful, so cool, but I'm going to starve to death. Wait, there's bacon. Bacon, bacon, bacon. (laughs) I mean, if there was one food you took with you to an isolated island somewhere, wouldn't it be bacon? Well, yeah, it's the perfect food. And yeah, this is tropical. Maybe there's pineapple somewhere. <gasps> yes. Bacon wrapped pineapple. Uh, Maybe catch some prawns. I don't know. Oh, gosh. You could have a, <laughs> a like, feast. Five star meal out there. <laughs> you'd probably die of thirst and starvation later, but at least you'd feel good before you got there. In 1609, Bermuda would finally be settled by the British, but this was not a planned development. Their ship, the Sea Venture, was headed to Jamestown when it wrecked on those treacherous corals around the island. Three people stayed here while the rest continued to Jamestown. It would take three years before the island was officially British territory, and it has stayed that way up until our current time. The town of St. George would be named the capital and is considered the oldest continually inhabited English town in the Americas. Bermuda has seen a lot of action through the years. The British used this as a launching point during the American Revolutionary War and the War of 1812. The Confederates used it during the Civil War. 
When Prohibition was in full swing, Bermuda was a scene of rum running. And while Bermuda is a British territory, it has been allowed to self-govern, and British troops left in 1952. Agriculture and salt trading were early parts of its economy, and these grew into shipbuilding and exporting lilies and onions. That seems kind of random. It is kind of random. onions. Okay. (laughs) But you know what? Let's be honest. They both stink. But they're so good. Yeah, lilies do stink. Mm -hmm. But onions are tasty. They are tasty. (laughs) So I don't really have much use for lilies. They're really stinky when you drive by and there's a a field of them. I can imagine. (laughs) Fun fact. Bermudians are sometimes called onions for this reason. Can you imagine? No. Hit yo onion. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't sound very nice. And of course, the island's main enterprise is tourism. There is a mix of cultures here with a melding of British colonialism, the slave trade, and immigrants from other islands and countries. There are many people on the island who speak Portuguese and Bermudians have unique idioms. For example, a regular Sally Bassett day means a hot summer's day. And Aunt Haggy's children means slow or confounding people. Yeah, I'm not sure who Aunt Haggy was, but apparently she had some dumb kids hanging around her or something. I don't know. That's quite odd. And when it comes to the tourism, Kelly, that's why we were there. My dad used to sell life insurance and he could earn different levels and then you'd have different trips that you could win. And the one year he won the trip to Bermuda. And so they just paid mine and my sister's way so that we could go with him. Nice. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. The main thing I remember about it, other than it had these pink sand beaches, which I'd never seen before, is the taxi drivers are nuts. Kind of like in New York? Yes. (laughs) They are crazy. You think you're going to die. I mean, it's just like speeding, swerving, honking all over the place. And of course, they drive on the other side of the road because this is a British Commonwealth. So it's it's interesting. But it it was cool, I think. I was pretty young when we went. I would probably appreciate it a lot more as an adult now. Well, you made it out with your life, and that's what's important. That is true. For many people, when hearing the name Bermuda, they immediately think of the strange triangular portal referred to as the Bermuda Triangle. Christopher Columbus documented some of the earliest anomalous incidents in his logs, in which he describes compasses moving about erratically and strange lights in the sky. The Bermuda Triangle is also known as the Devil's Triangle and stretches from Miami, Florida to San Juan, Puerto Rico to Bermuda and could encompass up to 1.5 million square miles. This is one of the most heavily trafficked areas in the world by planes and ships, and several of those planes and ships have gone missing under mysterious circumstances. There are those who believe that the disappearances are tied to something paranormal, like UFOs, or some kind of portal or vortex. But science has a very different opinion. From the NOAA website, environmental considerations could explain many, if not most, of the disappearances. And there is some evidence to suggest that the Bermuda Triangle is a place where a magnetic compass sometimes points towards the true north as opposed to the magnetic north. The U.S. Navy and U.S. Coast Guard contend that there are no supernatural explanations for the disasters at sea. Their experience suggests that the combined forces of nature and human fallibility outdo even the most incredulous science fiction. They add that no official maps exist that delineate the boundaries of the Bermuda Triangle and the U.S. Board of Geographic Names does not recognize the Bermuda Triangle as an official name and does not maintain an official file on the area. The ocean has always been a very mysterious place to humans, and when foul weather or poor navigation is involved, it can be a very deadly place. This is true all over the world. There is no evidence that mysterious disappearances occur with any greater frequency in the Bermuda Triangle than in any other large well-traveled area of the ocean. Party poopers. I mean, come on. (laughs) 
we're not having this anywhere else in the world, except for now they're naming all these different triangles all over the place where they have these gatherings. Anomalies. Yes. One of the most famous disappearances was Flight 19. This was a group of five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers out on a training flight on December 5th, 1945. They never returned home, and naval investigators assumed there was a navigational error, and then the aircrafts ran out of fuel. There were 14 men lost with that disappearance. Radio conversations between the pilots of the planes was overheard by other aircraft. One of the students was asked about his compass reading, and he said, I don't know where we are. We must have got lost after that last turn. Another student was having the same trouble, saying, Both of my compasses are out, and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm over land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down, and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. A search and rescue aircraft with a 13-man crew disappeared while looking for wreckage from Flight 19. The theory is that this plane was overloaded with fuel and exploded. Yikes. Somebody apparently saw some kind of a fireball, so that's why they think that. But officially, nobody knows where any of these planes are at or what happened. That's why it's lent us to thinking other things. Now, of course, when you have all of these weird erratic readings coming from your compasses and stuff, it just seems kind of logical that it is some kind of magnetic thing. Sure. But why? That's the thing. I mean, okay, you can give me your scientific definitions, but I also want to know why. Why is there a weird magnetism here? What's causing it to be that way? Is it a portal? Is it a vortex causing it to be weird? I just would love to know. So our very first location we're going to be featuring has got a wonderful name, Kelly. Spithead House. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) Granaway Deep is a basin in Warwick, Bermuda. Along the shores of this location, one finds a house known as Spithead. This was the former home of Bermuda's foremost privateer, Hezekiah Frith. He was born in Bermuda and became a successful ship owner in the late 1700s. He made a fortune from smuggling and privateering. He ran a store next to the house where he sold treasures from two ships he had captured. Legend claims that he captured a French woman and kept her at his house. It is thought that he might have killed the young woman in the carriage house, and it is her and Hezekiah that are believed to haunt this location. American playwright Eugene O'Neill once lived in the house, as did actor and director Charlie Chaplin. English playwright Sir Noel Coward lived here in 1956, and he claimed to have seen both apparitions on many occasions. The ghost of Captain George Dew. Captain George Dew was a privateer. Don't you love how they're calling all of them privateers? Bermuda apparently was the home to many, many pirates. Captain George Dew was a privateer who started as a sailor working on the slave ships heading for West Africa. After this, he focused his efforts in Central and South America. In 1686, he took part in buccaneer raids on Panama City, and the following year, he helped sack the city of Guayaquil in Ecuador. Bermuda would become a part of his life in 1691 when the country gave him a commission to privateer and he was told to focus on French ships. So basically they said, you are an official pirate for the government. Go get the French. He partnered with William Kidd for a while and also Thomas Griffin. They were pursued by pirate hunter Christopher Goff, but he could never catch them. And it was said they could sail two feet to his one. Captain Dew returned to Bermuda in 1693 and got married and started a family. But he was soon off being a pirate again. He joined Thomas too for a bit, and then he was off pioneering the pirate round route to Madagascar, and then he pirated through the Caribbean. He settled down finally in 1699 and returned to Bermuda, where he built his home that is now known as the Old Rectory. It took on this later name after Parson Richardson, who was known as the Little Bishop, lived here. Dew began a law practice of all things and was elected to a seat in the General Assembly. He died in 1703. 
The old rectory was eventually turned into a bed and breakfast and a Bermuda National Trust property. There are unique features like welcoming arm stairs and windows that are positioned high on the house just under the eaves. And those welcoming arm stairs, Kelly, are the ones that have them coming down on both sides. They kind of sweep down. Oh, yeah, they're beautiful. They're so grand looking. Yeah, and there's a lot of legends that claim that this was so a man wouldn't be walking up the stairs behind a woman and see her ankle. So one side would be for the men, the other side for the women. I actually listened to a tour guide talking about these on a YouTube video somewhere. And he said that that was just legend, that that was not true. Really? But I have heard that for years and years and years. So So have I. I can't imagine that it didn't have some kind of truth to it. I would think it did. (laughs) But clearly it's a very cool architectural feature. So I could see why they put them in, even if it doesn't have an actual purpose to it. But it served a good purpose. The old rectory is haunted by the ghost of Captain Dew, and he is said to be seen most often sitting at a harpsichord and playing it softly. Next, we have Old Morgan. Some locals call this legend the Cloudy Captain. Others refer to it as Old Morgan. Apparently, the Old Morgan is a long, low-lying rain cloud that appears during the summertime over the island, but is not actually a rain cloud. This is supposed to be the spirit of a whaleboat captain by the name of Morgan. So yes, Captain Morgan. Were we just talking about rum? (laughs) I know. (laughs) One has to wonder if he was running rum. Legend claims that smugglers ransacked his boats in 1775, and he was so angry about this that even in death he cannot rest until the culprits are apprehended. That never seems to have happened, so this cloud will continue to show up, and islanders will probably hope that the rain that is falling is actually rum. When we researched further, we did find that there was a Charles W. Morgan whaling ship that carried whaleboats aboard it. She is nearly 180 years old and has been restored and named for Charles Wall Morgan, a businessman rather than a captain. Yeah, so I was like, was there really a Captain Morgan? And I was trying to look him up and all I got through all my searches was this whaling ship coming up. But I thought, well, isn't that interesting because he was supposed to be a whaleboat captain. But the ship is not named for a captain, so. I used to see him in the grocery stores in California. They'd always have the big statue of Captain Morgan, and it's a pirate. In the grocery stores? Yes, because in California, they sell hard liquor in the grocery stores. They do? They do. Oh, wow. And he's standing like with his foot. I think his foot's like up on a barrel with his big boots and everything. Uh He's like posing. So there's Captain Morgan. (laughs) Wow, that's fascinating (laughs) to me because in Colorado, they don't sell anything, but it used to be 3-2 beer. I don't know now when we got all these craft beers and stuff, but... All you could do was 3-2 beer. There was no wine or anything. So when I moved here to Florida and it was like, here's this aisle and it's got wine on one side and all different kinds of beer on the other and margarita mixes and stuff. I was like, in the grocery store? How weird. And remember when they used to have blue laws? I don't know. There might be some states that still have them where you can't have a liquor store open on Sundays. They wouldn't sell the liquor on Sundays. So what they would do is put a little chain up on that aisle and you couldn't go down the aisle. Do not pass. Yeah. (laughs) I just thought that was so fascinating to me because I'm like, they have liquor in the stores here. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Next, we have Somersalls. Somersalls is a home found at Orange Grove that was built in the late 1600s. This was built by William Mannigan. 
His family had a Native American slave named John that they abused horribly. One day, John decided to kill the family, so he set the house on fire and then waited outside with a gun to shoot anyone who fled. After the deed, he was captured, tried, and sentenced to be hung, drawn, and quartered. Legend claims that his spirit still roams the grounds, although we could find no records that this location still exists. John is heard chanting in a Native American language and is seen holding a pistol. Next, we have Bel Air. Another weird story is told about a house called Bel Air on Cobbs Hill. People claim that there were strange noises, disembodied voices, and flickering lights here. The Helen Hayes Repertory Theater visited in 1958, and while staying here, they felt very unsettled. They decided to use a Ouija board. So if you're feeling unsettled, you just whip out the Ouija board? That's what I was going to say. I'm like, if I'm feeling unsettled, the last thing I'm going to bring out is the Ouija board. Oh my gosh. They decided to use a Ouija board to see if the place was haunted. It was said that they made contact with a female slave who had once worked on the property. She told them that another slave had stolen some jewelry from their master and that he was tortured as punishment. While that happened, he cursed the house and that had left the dwelling with an impressive and negative energy. One part of the torture was that the slave's hand was burned in a kiln. The spirit gave them directions where they could find it. And when they dug in the spot, they found an old kiln. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Fort St. Catherine. Fort St. Catherine is the oldest and largest fort on the island and sits at the northeastern tip of St. George's Island. As was the case with many forts built in the 1600s, this one was originally constructed from wood. A stone fort replaced it in 1614, but that would not be the final fort. This one was rebuilt five times, with the final one being completed at the end of the 19th century. The main issue for Fort St. Catherine was that it was fairly exposed, but its position did help it prevent ships that had entered through the open Atlantic from coming around St. George's Island and heading west. Ships had to get close to the fort because of the reef line, so they were easier to hit. Today, the fort is a museum, and a fun fact is that Charlton Heston once appeared in a production of Macbeth in the 1950s at Fort St. Catharines. The main spirit that haunts the fort is known as George. His apparition has been seen and heard in the lower chambers of Fort St. Catherine. Apparently, he got rather bothersome with his antics, and an exorcism was performed, but it didn't work. Mainly, I'm guessing because uh, aren't exorcisms for demons, Kelly? I believe so. (laughs) Yeah, so, and I don't think many demons would go by the name George. Just doesn't sound very demonic. (laughs) It doesn't have that Latin kind of weird, mysterious sound to it. So apparently George is just cantankerous, not demonic. Next, we have Windswept Cottage. Hugh Gray was a hotelier in Bermuda, and he owned the Cambridge Beaches property. On the property was the windswept cottage, and this is where he lived with his wife. The Grays went to lunch with Inspector Dennis Alderson in the 1920s, and the trio decided to go for a boat ride. The boat turned over, and only Hugh Gray survived. He was rescued, and a search was made for the bodies of his wife and the inspector. Five days later, the body of Inspector Vernon Jackson was found at Spanish Point. But he had not drowned. His cummerbund was found tightened around his neck. Mrs. Gray was never found. An inquest was held, but Hugh Gray was cleared. Most people believe that there was a love triangle, and Gray killed his wife and her lover. Sometime later, Hugh Gray was found dead at the bottom of the stairs at the windswept cottage. Rumors circled that his wife's ghost had come back to get revenge. There are claims that Hugh Gray now haunts that cottage. Housekeepers are afraid to clean the cottage, and there are claims that the disembodied whistling of Hugh was heard. His apparition is seen walking the coastline near the cottage as well. 
Now, there was a guy who wrote a story about this, and he found that there was a crack in the wall, and the wind would blow through it and would make a whistling sound. So he was wondering if that's where the whistling was coming from. I'd rather believe that it's the disembodied whistling of a dead man who's been killed by his ghost wife. It's definitely more interesting. (laughs) Yeah, and it's an unsolved uh, case. Did he actually just accidentally fall down the stairs and break his neck, or did someone push him? Next, we have Winton Estate. The estate known as Winton is said to be the scariest haunted property on the island. The Winton Estate is found on the North Shore and is over 200 years old. This home was built by Captain Thomas Dill, who had been born in Devonshire Parish. Dill would start as a rifleman with the Bermuda Volunteer Rifle Corps in 1895 and work his way up to lieutenant and finally captain by 1914. He was the commandant, and it was his duty to guard the Royal Naval Dockyard in Bermuda. He gave up his position to fight in World War I, and the Bermudian contingent was strongly praised for their work. Dill later became Bermuda's attorney general and served as a member of the colonial parliament. He married Ruth Nielsen, and they had seven children. Fun fact, their daughter Diana married Kirk Douglas, and she was the mother of Michael Douglas. The haunting that takes place here is said to be from Mrs. Dill. Her misty apparition has been seen roaming the house, and she touches people by tapping them. Her disembodied footsteps are heard, and she appears hovering over people when they are in bed. She answers the phone, too, but doesn't say anything, confounding the callers on the other end of the line. There are claims that the haunting is so intense that it has driven people to a nervous breakdown. Mrs. Doreen Mac Musson told the Bermudian about her time living in the house for 11 months in 1964. We just couldn't get any sleep at night. Even after the first week, I began to notice something, though I didn't believe in ghosts when I first moved in. There were sudden temperature drops in the house, even in the dining room, which couldn't be explained away as drafts. She also claimed that her children saw the ghostly face of a woman looking at them, and the objects would go missing. Orbs would travel up and down the stairs. Eventually, Mac Musson wrote a book with John Cox titled Bermuda's Favorite Haunts. Next, we have the Orange Valley Road House. Devonshire Parish is one of the nine parishes that make up Bermuda, and it lies in the very center of Bermuda. This was named after William Cavendish, first Earl of Devonshire. Within the parish on 15 wooded acres stands a 200-year-old home known as the Orange Valley Road House, since it sits on that road but it should probably be known as the Cox House because that is the name of the family that has owned this house throughout those centuries. And when I say this is the family that's owned it, literally, that's the only family that has owned this through all those generations. That is amazing. I was just going to say, that's amazing. (laughs) I love that. The house is well-preserved and has some of the finest examples of Queen Anne furniture, and there are painted portraits of all the generations who have owned the house. It was originally built by Captain William Cox in 1796, Another member of the Cox family who lived here was named Laura. She was an avid horticulturist and took great pride in the gardens on the property. She died in 1861, but she is at unrest because her beloved flower garden was torn up and removed. She appears as a full-bodied apparition pointing angrily at the spot where her garden once was located. What if they tore up your garden, Kelly? I'd be haunting their butts for years. You know what we're going to be haunting? (laughs) Our fairy garden if they ever touch it. Heck yeah. One of Cox's descendants, John Cox, is the current owner, and he has experienced many things. He wrote an article in the Bermudian in October of 2019, and he wrote, Although I've never seen it, I actually experienced it some years ago, which caused me serious alarm. At the time, I was occupying the west bedroom upstairs. Night after night, I was awakened by strange steps pacing back and forth across my room. Eerie lights would also pass by the open door, which led into the day room, and small objects on the bureau would move out of their own accord. Sometimes I would feel that I could not breathe. 
as though I were being choked. Finally, after many unnerving encounters, I called out loudly, Please, whoever you are, stop this. You are frightening me. In the next instant, I was aware of someone standing over me. A warm hand touched my neck. It was as real as if my own mother had touched me. After that night, I was never again troubled by the ghost. John Cox also wrote of his cousin's experience that happened a couple of decades earlier. She had brought her twin daughters over for a birthday party and was walking around the grounds when she ran into a lady in white with her hair pulled back into a bun. His cousin said, The mysterious woman seemed to want to communicate with me, but she said nothing. She just gazed intently at me. She next beckoned me towards the old rose garden. I looked toward the garden some 40 feet away and then back at the mysterious woman, but she had vanished as quickly as that. I knew then that I had encountered a ghost. For a while, I had an odd feeling about it, but I tried not to let it bother me. Laura Cox is not the only spirit reputedly on this property, which some claim is the most haunted in Bermuda. In 1974, John's brother and some of his friends decided to camp out in Orange Valley. When they returned to the house the following morning, they saw a man staring out of a window of the east bedroom. The boys turned on a flashlight to get a better look, and they saw that the man was heavy set and wearing a dark cloak. They could all see the man clearly, and they observed him for a while before he disappeared. The boys ran inside to search the house and only found the father sleeping in an upstairs room. John later figured out who the spirit belonged to, and it was an eccentric uncle named Aubrey Cox. Aubrey had put in the larger window that is found in this room because he liked to wake up early and watch the dawn approach out the window. John's brother has also been awakened by the spirit of a young black man and seen him standing by the bed before he disappeared. For some reason, after he vanishes, there is a smell of bacon. So I don't know if he liked to eat it or what the, what the case was. Remember those pigs that they dropped off at the island? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the ghost of the pigs. A young woman was taking a tour of the house and she told John, you will probably think me crazy, but do you know you have a ghost in the house? John told her that they had several. She must have thought he was poking fun at her because she emphasized that she was serious. And then she told him what she had just experienced. I have communicated with the spirit of a woman of about 40 years of age. She says her name is Mary and she's very distressed because her husband is away at sea and he doesn't know she's ill. When John looked through his family records, he found out that Captain William Cox was married to a woman named Mary, who died of pneumonia in the house in April of 1806 while he was away sailing in the West Indies. What are the chances that she knew any of that information? Wow. Because he had to look through his family records, so it wasn't like it was something documented out there in the public that she could look up. Not to mention that she was like, are you making fun of me? Objects have been known to move on their own around the house, and there have been some disturbing experiences, too. John and his cousin were both choked on the stairs when they were teenagers to the point that they couldn't breathe. Oh, my gosh. The Ghosts of New England Research Society investigated the house in 2013. They claimed to catch the sound of a woman sobbing uncontrollably in an upstairs bedroom. We also witnessed what appeared to be a black shadow figure appear near a coffee table in the main parlor of the house during an EVP session. In the interest of full disclosure, of the four people in the room, three could see it and one could not. However, at this very instant, an infrared motion-activated camera tripped and took several pictures, none of which show anything unusual. They also detected the scent of roses when there was no roses in the house. Bermuda is a beautiful island with a landscape dotted by hundreds of historic buildings. Are some of those buildings haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, I don't know if we'll ever get a chance to go over there together, but it is a gorgeous island. And I encourage people to check it out because who knew they had so many haunted locations there? And clearly they have a lot of really old ones. I mean, most of these were 200 years old at least. 
definitely a destination to put on the list. We'd love to have you check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. As we said, we have the virtual trick-or-treat going on in the Spooktacular crew. So if you haven't joined us over there, please do. I believe you have to be signed up by the end of September. And then Wes, who's heading that up, will be assigning everybody their victim, as we say. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a lot of fun. If you want to do something, it's a maximum of $30. And you just basically send each other a bunch of really cool stuff that's either Halloween or spooky themed. And it's kind of a nice touch. We've done it every single year. But this year, it seems to be even more of a more important kind of thing because Halloween is going to be maybe a little screwed up. Although I've seen some really innovative ideas for getting candy to the kids. That doesn't entail just (laughs) keeping it at them. (laughs) Flinging it across the yard. Yeah. The thing is, guys, I know we're all like, this is going to ruin our Halloween. It's going to cancel Halloween. Not if we don't let it. Exactly. And again, you want to be a part of the Spooktacular crew because we will be hosting our own virtual party and we'll probably have all the stuff up there. I'll probably put it over on the page and I'll try to put it out where people will see it. We'll be doing a Zoom party. So hopefully you can join us on the evening of Halloween. And we'll be doing a costume contest and some drawings and just having a good social time together. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to thank Andrea Kano for raising her contribution. It was really cool. We got to meet her at the Queen Mary when we were there. Was that two years ago? We did the tour there and did a little bit of investigating. So that was a lot of fun. Andrea, hopefully you hear this because I have been trying to get you your annual t-shirt for a year now and you're up on your second year this month. So I owe you two shirts. So please check your email. I will send one out to you or contact me at historyghostbump at gmail.com so we can get you your shirts. And for anybody else who signs up at the $10 and above level, You first get a logo mug in three months, and then at the end of the year, you get a t-shirt of your choice, and then every year thereafter, a t-shirt of your choice. And I believe I'm up to one of our executive producers, I believe has gotten four shirts or five. Excellent. So yeah, so we've had some very long-term executive producers. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for supporting HGB. We really appreciate it. You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And now, the moving of the phlegm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't have that problem because I ate my few Pringles. Actually, I do have that problem. <laughs> Who am I kidding? <laughs>
And I noticed that you got the jalapeno Pringles so that well, I would not touch them. Exactly. Because <laughs> he said, well, I'm just going to eat them. I said, well, when I saw that kind, I thought, well, I'll buy her the regular and then I'll buy myself the jalapeno because then I know I can eat three before getting ready to record and they'll still be there. <laughs> but if you do that for three or four months, they're going to be really stale. I don't care if they're stale. I was the they're staleness prevention. <laughs> they're serving a purpose. <laughs> This also happens to be the eastern point of the... Br- beep, 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 beep. Was a Spanish explorer who was the first to discover the island of Bermuda and... Was the first to discover... Where? That's how you're supposed to say it. How else do you think you're supposed to say it? I never knew. The island would be named... What is wrong with my voice today? <laughs> Are you going through puberty? Apparently. It'll be named. <laughs> Usually that's your problem. I know. Three people stayed here while the rest continued to Jamestown. Jamestown? Jamestown. Jameson? Jameson. I sound like I've been drinking some. <laughs> Just another little sippy sip, officer. <laughs> Bartender, whoever you are, I don't really care. You asked for my ID. It's the same (laughs) difference, bartender cop. The British used this as a launching point during the American Revolutionary... Revolutionary? (laughs) It was a revolutionary. We're going to have a revolutionary, everyone. Shush. (laughs) When Prohibition was in full swing, Bermuda was a scene of rum... Rum, rummy, rummy, rummy. Rummy? It's been a long time. Are you drinking rum while you're playing (laughs) rummy? I mean, we haven't had a drop of alcohol. It's hard to believe. (laughs) And of course, the island's main enterprise is tourism. Tourism. (laughs) Did I say it weird? (laughs) You're like, tourism. Tourism. (laughs) Well, don't criticize me, darling. Just because I was speaking about tourism. I mean, I know that the British hold on to Bermuda here, so maybe that's influenced you a bit. I, I thought I said it fine, but whatever. <laughs> there are many people on the island who speak Portuguese, and Bermudians have quite idioms. Have quite idioms. Mm-hmm. Quite? <laughs> I don't get know. quite out of unique. No. <laughs> you it's just moved the. Here. You just move the Q and. <laughs> The U around, Hush. throw a T Let me in read. There. Hush. <laughs> there are those who believe that... The <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> but science has a very different opinion. They're just drunk when they're passing through? I'm sure that's what the scientists have come to that conclusion. <laughs> yes, Kelly. Better speak into the microwave. <laughs> I know. Kelly's like, oh, I didn't say that into the microwave. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, microphone. <laughs> Captain George Dew was a privateer who started as a sailor. Sailor here? Sailor here. Have another little sip. <laughs> Just a little finger. <laughs> yo ho, yo ho, pirate's life for me. We pillage, we rifle, we filch and sack, drink up. Me, me hearties, yo ho. I mean, we sound like we've been. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a crap. No, I don't know. Oh my I don't remember. God, Kelly! <laughs> That's Disney. I'm making up my own words. Apparently so. <laughs> the estate known as Winton is said to be the most frighteningly, frighteningly, That's a lot of syllables. It is a lot of syllables. 
The estate known as Winton is said to be the most frighteningly haunted, frighteningly, 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 frighteningly. The estate known as Winton is said to be the most frighteningly. Did that sound right? No. <laughs> frighteningly. 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 God, I can't say it. <laughs> scariest. I'm going to say scariest. <laughs> God, go for it. <laughs> Mrs. Doreen Mac Musson told the Bermudian about her time living in the house for 11 months in 1964. We just couldn't get any sleep at night. Even after the first week, I began to notice something. Yeah, so a little insider information. We had to interrupt the show in the middle here because my folks were at the front door. And so they were just talking to us. And my dad decided that he was going to start calling Kelly Mac because she's so good around the house. She hung up our flag so we could put our, what do you call it? The little, what do you put a, the brackets, I guess, for the flag? <laughs> the bracket for the flagpole. Yeah. Yeah. I and was explaining had... because we have cinder block homes and that I use a masonry bit. And a Tapcon, the Tapcon screws, but I also put some silicone before screwing it in just to make sure no moisture got in there. And then your dad said, well, I'm going to start calling you Mac. So I thought he so meant handy. like Macintosh. I don't yeah. know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he had a friend <laughs> named Mac who was really good at construction or something. Gotcha. But anyway, where we got interrupted, Kelly was just talking about this woman Doreen Musson, whose nickname was Mac. And I'm like, what are the chances <laughs> that we go to the door and my dad starts calling you Mac? <laughs> Synchronicity. Always. Synchronicity. Finally, after many unnerving encounters, I called out loudly, please, whoever you are, stop this. You're frightening me. Right, there's that frightening me. Frightening me. I'm not the only one with that issue. You are frightening me. <laughs> you are frightening me. Now I can't say. <laughs> you better just stick with the other We're one. We're both screwed now. You are frightening me. <laughs> that damn word, frightening. It's so horrible. Jobs, jobjicks, jobjicks. Who? What? 